The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. All right, well, good morning. My name is Randall, if I haven't met you yet, and um, I've been told that I look like I'm 20 years old. So thank you to whoever thinks I look like I'm 20, because I am 36, the ripe old age of 36 years old. Um... And, you know, I've been blessed to be able to be the pastor of Grace City for the past four years. And so um, it is a real gift to be able to be with you this morning, uh, to be able to share. And, you know, over these next six weeks, we're going to be going back and forth, Scott and I, preaching through the book of Genesis and, and looking at the story of Joseph in particular. You know, I think it's really helpful for us to, to look at this story because I think in many ways, you know, when we, when we zoom back, we see that God is at work um, in moments where it's hard to see it sometimes. It's hard to see it sometimes. And so we are in the middle right now of this whole thing of like, okay, God, are you in the middle of, of this, right? Two churches coming together, this amazing story of, of, of what God is doing in our community. And I just want to first just say thank you, FBC, for hosting our church, being here for now two weeks. And so, Grace City, can we just thank FBC for being here this morning? You know, I think it's a beautiful thing to think about this vision of being able to come together for the glory of God. And um, so we're talking about this idea of being together for our city. But, but really, all of that doesn't work if God is not at the center of it. If God doesn't line things up in the way that he desires it to be. And so what we see in the life of Joseph is that's what happens. God is in the midst working in ways that at the time the, the people who were living out this story couldn't have seen. And so we're calling this series The Gospel in Genesis. Um, and, and really what the, the word gospel means is good news. Because if you read this story, you, you zoom out and you think, where's the good news in this? L look at the story of what's happening here. There's a, there's a family that is just chaotic and in distress because they just lost a son. And, and, and it, it wasn't just anybody who caused this. It was his own brothers. See, this doesn't seem like good news. But what we see throughout the Bible is that the message of the gospel, good news, is all throughout. And so our text today is Genesis 37, 1 through 11, and 23 through 34. So thank you, Christy, for reading that. Um, and, and here's the message as we read this, it's this, God's dream for Joseph. God's dream for Joseph. So as I said, over the next six weeks, we'll be studying the life of Joseph. And, and what we will see here in Joseph's life is this, that, that God gives us examples of his sustaining work in the midst of heartache, challenges, seeming like God is silent, Moments of disappointment. You see, what we see all throughout the scriptures is that there's only one hero in the Bible. It's God. God is the, Bi the hero of the Bible every time. And out of all the stories in Genesis, this story in particular gives us the clearest picture of the overarching message of the gospel. The overarching arching message that this looks in many ways like the story of Jesus. W.A. Criswell, 
who was a, a pastor, he said this. He said, to my amazement, there is twice as much about Joseph as there is about Abraham. Why is this? Is Joseph greater than Abraham? No, not that. But there's twice as much about Joseph as about Abraham because the story of Joseph is the story of our holy Messiah, Redeemer in miniature. When we read the sufferings of Joseph and in his glorious exaltation, we are reading exactly what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we look at the Bible, what, what, what's the message? What, what, what is it all pointing us to? It's pointing us to the story of Jesus. You see, in Joseph's life, even, even at the midst of, of his trials, trial after trial, it ultimately is meant to point us to the redemptive work of God. That in those trials, there can be hope. So just a little context of what's happening here. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. And Abraham was called by God in Genesis chapter 12, and he was given this promise that he would have a great family that, that, that would outnumber the stars, right? You remember that illustration that God gives me? He says, come outside, look outside, look up at the stars. I'm going to build a family out of you like that. It was a dream that God planted in Abraham's heart, but it was really a, a calling that changed his life. And for Abraham up to this point, if we read in Genesis chapter 11, it says that he was at that time worshiping other gods false gods but then this call comes into his life and it radically changes him forever God says I'm calling you out of the land that you're used to all the familiar things that you're used to I'm calling you out to a land that I will show you and so in faith Abraham trusts God and his life changes see for Abraham what changed him was a call from God what changes Joseph it's a dream it's a dream that comes into his life in Genesis 37 and what we're reading today. See, it's the dream that God used to change Joseph forever. Genesis 37, 5 through 6 says that Joseph had a dream. And we told it to his brothers. They hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my, my sheaf rose and, and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Do you see what's happening here? Right, God sends him this dream, but Joseph's family is extremely dysfunctional and they're at a tipping point. They're at a tipping point. See, Joseph didn't realize it, but it says that in the text, his brothers hated him. And when they heard about this dream, they hated him all the more. See, for Joseph, he didn't recognize how his brothers truly felt about him because what we find out through the text is that he was on a path to become a very arrogant young man, a very prideful young man. And so God sends a dream into his life. And ultimately, this dream, God's dream, is much bigger than Joseph or his brothers could have seen at the time. See, God's dream was to save a people through this dysfunctional family. God's dream was to change this 17-year-old young man who didn't have a great relationship with his brothers. But in the process, God had to break him 
and teach him what it really meant to follow God. See, there was still much work to be done in Joseph's life. Ian DeGid says it well when he says this. He says, in God's program, growing means becoming smaller. Greatness in his kingdom is a gift God gives to the humble, not a prize to be grasped by the proud. See, God not only wanted to accomplish a dream through Joseph and his family, but he also wanted to do a work in Joseph and his family. See, this is a much bigger perspective than what they saw at the time. See, our culture tells us this, that you need to follow your dreams. It's all about you. It's all about your dreams, and you need to follow your dreams no matter what. Yet here's the reality about our culture. As much as we advertise that, that it's all about your dreams, what we find is this, that there's a generation that is more lost and directionless than ever. We're lost. Because people tell us it's all about your dream. But what we see in Scripture is it's about God's dream. What does God desire? In 2016, Joel Schroeder wrote an article in Forbes magazine entitled Millennials. This is what your quarter-life crisis is telling you. And here's what she said. You hear that quarter-life crisis? We got quarter-life crises now. Right, this is a thing. She says, it was two months before my 25th birthday. Everything in my life seemed upside down. My business was no longer exciting me. Working out seemed mundane. And hanging out with friends felt like a chore. I started asking myself, do I really have the success that I thought I would have? Am I actually creating an impact on the world? Am I happy? What's the point of all this anyway? I'd found myself in a quarter-life crisis, or as the muse puts it, a period of intense soul-searching and stress occurring in your mid-20s and 30s, typically because you feel you're not achieving your full potential or falling behind. According to The Guardian, the quarter-life crisis affects 86% of millennials who report being bogged down by insecurities, disappointments, loneliness, and depression, Millennials, it's less of a question of if you'll experience a quarter-life crisis than it is a question of when. Here's what's happened. The more we've cut God out of the picture and said it's all about my dream and my desires and my wants, again, the more lost and confused we've become. We're a generation that's struggling with direction, but let's ask for a minute, what if it's not about your dream for your life but instead, God's dream for you. God's dream. Our text, again, is Genesis 37, 1 through 11, and looking at 23 through 34. We're going to break this down today, but, but why does God send the dream into Joseph's life? Well, there are three ideas that we can take away from this text today. And the first one is it's, it's to bring sin to the surface. Number two, show how God really works. And number three, offer a better story. Bring sin to the surface, show how God really works, and, and offer a better story. So the first one is this, bring sin to the surface. Uh, look at verses two through eight. It says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock of his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of, of Bilhah and Zilpah, uh, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a report of them to their father, now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of the sons 
because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams for his, and for his words. See, what did the dream draw out of his family? See, God sends this dream intentionally into Joseph's life. What, what, what did it draw out of his family? Well, first, this we talked about this earlier, but Joseph's pride. Again, what we see in verse 2 is this. It says that he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And so what we see first is there was a separation in the way that Joseph was looked upon and his brothers were looked upon. See, he was a boy, but he was with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. What we know is that Joseph was the son of Rachel, right? Jacob and Rachel. And, 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 and Jacob, it says, loved Rachel. And so now, being the son of Rachel, he was lifted up throughout his whole life as this is the one. This is the, the I love Joseph. And it meant even more because we see that Rachel dies in Genesis 35. And so throughout Joseph's life, he was treated differently from his brothers. And what we find is this. It says that, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. What we know about this word that's used for the bad report is this, that there, there could have been some exaggerating about the problem. And so Hebrew scholar Robert Alter says, Joseph's character suggests a spoiled child who is a tattletale. He's out there telling on his brothers for all the little things that they didn't do. So not only is he the favored child, but he's also the one who's tattling on his brothers saying, here's all the bad things they're doing. And now in verse five, it says Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Again, Alter points out that Joseph exemplified adolescent narcissism. You know why they hated him even more? It's because the way he shared it with them. Right? We don't get the tone of, of how this happened, but what we see is that the response of his brothers is that they hated him even more by the way he said it because it says, for his words. It's not only the dream, but it's, it's, it's his words. Charles Spurgeon once said, he says, no matter how dear you are to God, if pride is harbored in your spirit, he will whip it out of you. They that go up in their own estimation must come down by his discipline. See, what does God have to address in Joseph's life? It's this pride. Hebrews 12, 6 says this. It says, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There's a level of discipline that God brings into our life to, to change our character. And this is something that has to happen in Joseph's life. But he didn't know it at the time. All he knew about was the dream. 
In his mind, the dream is all about being lifted up over his brothers. It's a dream that he'd been living his whole life. It's just in a new way. So it, it exposes Joseph's pride, but then it also exposes Jacob's idolatry. Look at verse 3. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he, has, he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Not only was it with his words and the way that he lifted up Joseph and separated him from the rest, but he also gave him this robe of many colors. And what we find, if you really do some research, is an ornamented robe that he gives him. It was expensive. What we see is that Joseph got the riches that his brothers didn't receive. And again, why did he do that? Well, it's because he was idolizing Joseph. He was idolizing him. He was putting his child in a place that he shouldn't have been. And what we see is this was a pattern in Jacob's life because he did the same thing with Rachel. Right? What, what is idolatry? It's when we make a good thing a God thing. It's when we lift it up and we start to worship it over God. And the truth is that our hearts are like idol factories, aren't they? We, we just churn out idols all the time and then we, we lift things up and put them in the place of God. And so this is what's happening in Jacob's life. In 2017, Ann Mead Harris wrote a blog uh, for a ministry called Rooted Ministry. It was entitled this, Four Signs I Have Made My Child an Idol. And here's the four signs she gives. She says, number one, I cannot bear to discipline or displease my child. Number two, I need to influence or control most things that affect my child. Number three, whatever affects my child has the potential to control me. Number four, my desire to protect my child is stronger than my desire to see him or her grow to be the person God has called them to be. Right there, there are places that we can put our children or anything else, relationships in that place of God. And so what we see is that Jacob is, his idolatry is being exposed in this passage. And lastly, we see the obvious brother's hatred. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. See, the dream had brought to the surface the deep-rooted sin and brokenness that existed in the family. The parts of the family that they didn't want to admit necessarily, but were there. And so God reveals it through this dream. Secondly, it's this. Show how God really works. And so we see this in, in 9 through 11 and in some of the verses in, in chapter, or verses 20, uh, 23 and 24. Um, and here's what it says. It says, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. 
Verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So what's happening here? Well, Joseph received that dream again and, it's, and started to share it with everyone. And what would stick out to us is the manner in which he shares it again. It was just this grandiose, over-the-top point where even to the point where it angered his father, his father said, is this really it? He gives him this light rebuke. But what it did is it drove his brothers to the edge. And a commentator on this text, Derek Kidner, pointed out that there's a progression of how his brothers start to gang up on him. And at this point, the dream has left Joseph completely isolated from his family. So what does this teach us about how God works? Well, well, there's a few parts to it. The first one is this. God works through the least likely. God works through the least likely. See, Joseph is arrogant and spoiled, but he's also one of the youngest. And in this culture, it was a patriarchal culture and society which gave all the attention and the accolades to the firstborn son. But what we see is that God came to the younger one. And he does this throughout Scripture. He did this in Jacob's life. See, God chose Joseph even though he didn't meet all the qualifications. God, again, chooses the least likely to work through. But there's another part, and it's this, that God works behind the scenes. At no point in Genesis 27 is God particularly mentioned. You read through the story here, but you don't see God, which is very rare in the book of Genesis. See, in many ways, God seems absent in the situation, and the reason is, is that this writer who's writing Genesis is, 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 is trying to help us to understand how it felt, right? All of these things are happening, but it felt like in many ways God was absent or he wasn't there. See, what feels like a pattern of coincidences throughout the story, because you read throughout Genesis 37, it's just they happen to be at certain places at certain times, what feels like coincidences is God acting behind the scenes. See, because God is not absent. He's never absent. He's always there. One pastor said this. He said, unless everything happened exactly the way it happened, just in that order, everybody dies because there's a famine going to come and Joseph has to put or Joseph has to be put in the place where he has power, right? If you were to line everything up, like they, they didn't know that there was going to be a famine. They didn't know all that was about to come. The only one who knew that is God. And God is working behind the scenes, taking Joseph and sending him to Egypt, right? There's a bigger plan, a bigger story that was happening that, that we don't necessarily see on the surface. Lastly, it's that God works through suffering. Again, verses 23 and, and 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into a pit. 
The Midianite traders pass by. Joseph's in this pit. He's sold for shekels of silver. They, they took Joseph to Egypt. See, if we were to think about this, what does this picture give us? It gives us this picture of a suffering son. A suffering son. What's the whole Bible about? A suffering son. Right? Because in many ways, what, what this feels like is this is the end of the story for Joseph. It's done. The dream is over. And so we get to the last point, offers a better story. Look at verses 29 through 34. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and and returned to his brothers and said, the the boy is gone and I, where where shall I go? When they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered, they they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They sent the robe of many colors and brought it to the father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. In many ways, for Joseph, this seemed like the end of the story, doesn't it? Feels like it's over. It's done. And, And do you see the brothers... And how they're distancing themselves from what happens here. It sounds like a police report, doesn't it? Would you please identify this, uh, your son's robe here? Right? It's like there's no remorse. They're hiding something. It's too formal. If this is the end of the story, this is a terrible ending, isn't it? Terrible ending. You know, one of the things I do with my kids, I've got three kids, is, um, you know, they're nine, seven, and six, and, and, and one of the things they do at night is, is we read bedtime stories. They love reading stories. They, they, Dad, can you read this story, this story, this story? And, and, and I mean, could you imagine if I'm reading through the story of Joseph? Hey, guys, Joseph. You know, Joseph was his brother. And, and so let's read through Joseph, Joseph's story here. We're going to go to verse 37, or chapter 37 here, and we're going to read about Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. And, um, and here's the end of the story right here. They took Joseph to Egypt. End of story, guys. Good night. Ha- get, sleep tight. You know, have a... Not a great end of the story. But you see, th- this is the good news. This isn't the end. It's actually just the beginning. It's the beginning. For Joseph, in his mind, the dream was about him being in charge. It's about his brothers and family bowing down to him. But for God, the story was about saving a nation. It was about God fulfilling a promise that he made to Abraham, his great-grandfather. It was about true reconciliation for this broken family. See, Joseph didn't know what it was going to take for him to fulfill this dream. It would be through being sold into slavery, being thrown into prison, being forgotten about. 
you're going to see Joseph get forgotten about. And it's through that that God would write a greater redemption story than he could have seen in the moment. Psalm 105, 17 through 19, gives us a little insight of what happened in Joseph's life. He says, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he, God, foretold came to pass till the word of the Lord proved him true. God sent Joseph to Egypt. And God was going to accomplish what he was going to accomplish. See, that's the greater story. Ultimately, all of this would give us a picture of the greater story, the greater Joseph, Jesus Christ. You know, Sally Lloyd-Jones gives a great illustration of this and connecting these stories together when she says, one day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would hate him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. Do you see this connection? Do you see what God's doing here? It's much bigger than Joseph having a dream for himself. God is telling a bigger story. It's all about God's dream. And so lastly, just some takeaways. What can we apply to our lives through this? Well, the first one is this. Believe that God's working even when it's hard to see. Believe that God's working even when it's hard to see. Here's the reality for you and me today. We all have blind spots, don't we? We all have blind spots. And many times our biggest blind spots is this. It's that we don't believe God is working in our lives because we don't see it and we don't feel it. We trust our feelings and we trust our sight so much more than we trust God, don't we? But it says that faith is is putting your hope in something that you can't see. It's trusting him in faith, believing that God is there. So let me ask this. Could you believe that even through your difficulties, God hasn't left you? God hasn't left you. That God is telling a greater story than what you or I could have imagined. Right. God promises he would do that. I says this, avoid being too sure or too cynical about what God is doing. Avoid being too sure or too cynical about what God is doing. You know the thing about Joseph? Joseph was so sure about what God was doing. He was so sure, wasn't he? He said, brothers, gather around. Let me tell you about this amazing dream. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be in charge of you. It was awesome. I love that dream. You know, it's like he's like gathering everyone around. He was so sure about what was going to happen. He, he, but what we see is he didn't see what was on the other end, what was on the other side. He didn't know the suffering that was involved with that. But then the other side is this. We can be a lot like the brothers who are just so cynical, right? Just so cynical. There's no way that God could be doing that through Joseph. 
We don't believe that. Let's just throw him in a pit and get rid of him. Get out of here, you dreamer. Joseph, you're, we're going we're gonna to help you along in this story. We're going to send you to Egypt. Maybe you can have that dream out there, right? Like, not here. They were too cynical about what God was doing. See, here's the thing that we know that they didn't know. We know how it all ends, don't we? <laughs> we get to read about it. We get to study it over these next weeks here. We get to know what only God does. And so let's avoid being too sure or too cynical about what God can do, but just say, okay, Lord, teach me, help me, guide me, humble me to listen to you. Because I want your dream. I want what you want. Help me just to step in faith. Lastly, this. Remember that God works through the least likely. Through the least likely. Right? For, for the people who've been written off in life, for the people who, who feel like they're outcasts or, or that they don't have a shot. Right? Th those are the people that God looks for. God takes the lowly and he uses them for his glory. I like what Scott Saul says when he said this. He says, God has not called you to be awesome. He's called you to be humble, faithful, and free. Leave the awesome to him. Right? Where we live in a generation that's all about me being awesome. I'm going to do awesome things. But when it comes to God, it's about him being awesome. It's about him doing awesome things. And so Joseph had to learn that along the journey. God taught him that. Here's the gospel today, friends. It's this. That there was one, you know, Joseph, he's thrown into this pit. And in many ways, it's, it's, he's screaming for help. He's screaming for help. And he's sent to Egypt and, and, and all these things. He's exalted eventually, right? We know that. But what we know is that there was one who was on the cross for us. It was the son, the great, it was Jesus. You know, when it says that Jesus screamed out, because when you look at in John, when it says when Jesus um, yelled out or screamed out, it is finished. And I, and I put my spirit into your hands. Like, you know, it says that he screamed in agony, pure agony. Why did he do that? Why did he go through that for you and me? It's because he was dying for our sins. See, God's great dream for you is that you would know his son, that you would know Jesus, and that through the son, you'll just kind of lay your dreams at the feet of the cross and let those things die because they need to. It's not about my dreams. Let me lay it at the cross. Let those things die. And you come back to the empty tomb three days later and you see that God has resurrected something much better. It's about his son, Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus today, my encouragement, Scott's encouragement, all of our encouragement is this, that you know him. You know him. And Find out what his dream is all about. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this story of Joseph and, 
and how it teaches us a lot about what you're truly about. It's by your glory. And so I pray, Lord, that you will teach us what it means to be a people about your glory. And as we go through the life of Joseph, that you'll teach us more and more about how you work in ways that we could have never expected, but it's so much better than what we could have dreamed on our own. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.